You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. I had to I had to shave the beard. It was it was getting long though, you know. I like it. It was a very unique look. I wouldn't say hey, hey John, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm not sure if you could hear me. The meeting is being recorded. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can hear oh, you. He got it. Fine. Looking very dapper, I might say. Mr. John. I like Hold it. on. Got that Eastern dapper look. Hello. John, this is the trusty sidekick, Alan Lee. Just leave All right, I'm barely... Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm barely hearing you. Oh. Okay. Can you talk... Hello? Hey, can yeah. you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can barely hear you, and I can't. I can't hear myself. I, I don't know if this thing is hooked up. I could hear you. Fine. Oh, oh, hey, some asshole unplugged this from the back. Who would fucking do that? Alan Lee having a discussion about that kind of behavior, and all of a sudden the whole thing is too blue and and too too crazy. I know. Listen, this guy's a cop. Yo, ex cop. How you doing, Alan? How are you? Glad to meet you, sir. And I had mentioned you looking very dapper. And um, thank you. I'm a pussy magnet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Al- Alan Lee's the trusty sidekick. Okay. Yeah. So far, so good. We're we're in communication, and it's yeah. working. Because I'm not good at this. I have a 31 year old millennial son that hooks me up. Oh, really? Yeah. He lives on the other side of this wall and doesn't pay rent. <laughs> well, I don't want to say anything, but. Keith is a. Are you a thirty-year-old millennial or thirty-one? I'm. Not, I'm not. I'm a little older, unfortunately. I, I have that young disease, though, where like I look young. Yeah, that's, that's not a disease. You want that? <laughs> yeah, you got do. good hair, dude. I would. I would like to fuck your hair. <laughs> you got, yeah. Again. That's <laughs> fuckable. Uh, well, John, thanks so much for taking time of your your busy schedule to riff with us. We really appreciate it, man. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. I always like doing these, but, um, um, you know, uh, I, I travel tomorrow. So today is like, a, you know, I work in a workshop. So I, I kind of did what I had to do today. And then, like, kind of right now, I'm like um, taking the edge off and, uh, and uh, packing. And I was looking forward to uh, hanging with you guys. Oh, nice. Now, are we on the air now? Is this part of our shtick? Yeah, yeah, we're on the yeah. air now. Okay, and can it I smoke marijuana? till next Monday. Oh, okay, but can I smoke marijuana during this? Some guys flip out and they're like, oh, oh my of God. Of course. You can, oh, good. Oh, you do some guys whatever are- you want. Oh, good, good, good. Can I show you my penis? Uh, well, I, I'm <laughs> to see it, but Alan might, might take you, know, you up on that. I'm having a diabetic attack and my blood flow is wrong. <laughs> now, John, uh, before, like, we met on the, the, the Facebook, right? Well, I just, uh, I just, I thought I only saw you or knew you for the first time ever from the contest. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, and, I, and, I, and again, I've seen you on Facebook. And if I'm not mistaken, you were friends with Norm, right? And you opened for Norm. Yeah, he was. So I read, friend. I read a lot of that, and and I, again, I didn't know you and I knew each other, but I did read a lot of that, and I and I thought it was fantastic. I saw you the other night, and then when I went back to our Facebook messages back and forth, I saw that uh, you. I, I guess I might have been doing a gig, and you said, you know, could you do the middle spot? So we we've spoken before. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, did you work with Norm? No, I never met him. Um, I never met him. I was obviously uh, probably on a, just a whole different circuit, and he's obviously way more famous than me. Never met him. Uh, always loved him, respected him. However, it took his passing for me to, to fully do my research and my homework on him. So I like him. Oh, yeah. He was, he was <laughs> the best. And then, yeah. like, the worst thing is, like, uh, then, like, I was close with Saget, too. Like, I opened for Saget, oy. too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, like, uh, I also opened for Jay Moore, and Jay Moore told me, he's like, I don't want you to open for me anymore because I don't want to die. I was like, what Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I do know this. Uh, I had a, an audition, like a life-changing audition, like the lead in a sitcom that was already picked up, the lead. Yeah. 
And uh, it was me, Bob Saget, and Larry Miller. And oh, I said, we love Larry. <laughs> I said to Larry Miller, hey, you're from Valley Stream, and I'm from Woodmere. These are Long Island towns right next door to each other. And he looked up and said, I'm studying. I'm trying to get a role. <laughs> and then I said hello to Bob Saget, and he couldn't have been nicer. He went out of his way to, to make me feel like, you know I'm famous, and you know I'm up for the same role as you, and I'll probably get it, but let me shake your hand and be nice to you. Yeah, That's the only time I met Bob. Saget was the nicest guy. When Norm died, he called me once a week just to check in with me. Oh, like, wow. You know, wow. so. Yeah, I, I like both of I'm a humongous Howard Stern fan, so I love uh, both of their visits to Howard Stern. Yeah, but I, let, let's drift to something more positive. I'm curious about your your interaction with Larry Miller. Was that it? Because, <laughs> you know, there's another one. I, when you say you love Larry Miller, I don't know if you're being serious or not. I really do. We had him on here. And uh, I just, I think he's one of the best character actors ever. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I like Larry Miller, but there was, there was that interaction. And then another time, my wife and I used to walk at a park in Valleyville, Sherman Oaks Park, right off of Van Nuys or somewhere. And we used to see him every morning. And just once or twice, our eyes, you know, caught. And I just said, hey, you know, I was like, hey, you know, there's the guy. And, and he kind of went out of his way to go. You know, like he didn't, he thought I was a civilian that was going to, you know, ask him for his autograph <laughs> or ask him who he was <laughs> but that like see that's kind of funny though you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and i do know he was in a coma for six weeks so i find that interesting you know that right yeah he had a he had a his his brain like froze or something right Oof. yeah i i don't know the cause of it um and again i i liked him in uh what was that one movie he was in he was great with the uh Richard Gere, uh, the prostitute. Yeah, he was good, and he was like the, the the dress salesman. Yeah, I loved uh, the Princess Bride, where he's like combing the lady's hair, and he's like, "What is this zebra hair?" No, I, that's funny. I didn't see that one though. But he's from Valley Stream, and so is um, uh, Jim Brewer. Is from Valley Stream. Oh, Jim. Brewer. And I'm from I'm from the next town over, Woodmere. I don't know if you know anything about Long Island, New York. Yeah, obviously, Long Island. Uh, yeah, it's the first town in Long Island. If you drive one, if you drive like ten blocks, you're in you're in New York City. You're in Queens. Yeah, you've yeah. landed at JFK Airport before. No, no, I, I was just uh, trying. No, to I'm saying well, Queens. Uh, JFK Airport is in Queens, in New York City. Yeah, and you go through a red light at JFK, and you're in Long Island, where I lived. Nice. Now, did you do, when you were a, a police officer in New York, did you do stand-up while you were doing the same thing? It's a, a good question. I did it once. I always wanted to be a comedian. I didn't know how you start. I did open mic once early in my cop career, very early. I got hired in 86. I might have done one open mic in 87 or 88. And my heart pounded so much, it felt like there was a midget or a little person inside my chest trying to escape with a sledgehammer that's how much my heart was pounding and i said i don't need these hassles and i never did it and a good four or five years went by and i was on the homeless outreach bus i was in the homeless outreach unit we pick up cl our clients mm -hmm. you know you can't say bum over the radio or two-legged cockroach <laughs> so we'd pick up homeless people every night overnight in the cold weather and i would do jokes on the homeless outreach bus T to quote some of my buddies my audience were crack whores and homeless bums that stunk or had feces in their pants you know one guy said how you doing tonight this is a true story i said hey man how you doing tonight he goes i not too good i go why not he goes i got a stool in my underwear the size of your leg yeah that was my audience Right. Similar to the haha. -ha. No, they, that's a dumb joke. I the like the haha. -ha. -ha. Yeah, the old uh, Shaky Town Live. Shaky Town Live. And here's what happened. I knew I wanted to be a comedian. I didn't have, I had very, very, very severe stage four living room balls. I was the funniest guy in the living room. I was the funniest guy at the Christmas party. I was the funniest cop. I was the funniest guy on my football team. And, um, my partner one night on the homeless outreach bus, I was 27 years old, and he said, dude, look at this. There's a comedy class. And it was like the heavens opened up. I'd never heard of such a thing. I go, give me the details. He said, oh, you join, you do sets. 
there's a graduating class. You could pay it off. He goes, I'll even lend you the money. And when I called that phone number the next day, just to say I want to register, it was it was uh, it was a, a, a life changing moment. It was like I told my parents I was a homosexual at yeah. the age of 27. It was that much weight lifted off my shoulders. And then uh, I remember draw, then before I signed up that night, I draw, I got home at 7 a.m. and my wife had a crying infant in each arm, like a two week old and an 11 month old. Okay, they're not even a year apart. Yeah. To this day, they're the same age once a month, uh, you know, for one month. She has a crying son and a crying daughter. We were done with the family. We had one of each. And I said, I want to be a comedian. I said, it'll probably take 10 years of open mics running around. Obviously, I'm not going to quit the job. I'll do both. I said, I need your support. And there was a long pause. And she said, I want another baby. If you help me have another baby... I'll give you all the support. So to answer your question, uh, uh, six years into my cop career, I started to do open mic. And then for another six years, I got more, f if, if you want to use the word famous, but I got famous enough to sign a huge TV deal. I was in the newspapers. I was, the, they compared me to, the New York Times compared me to Frank Serpico. Uh, do you know who Frank Serpico is? Uh, I don't. Alan Lee knows. Yeah. Yes. He, he's the most famous New York City cop for other reasons. Yeah. But anyway, um, I stayed I stayed on the job as a cop and a comedian for another six. So a total of 12 years. Got a big TV deal um, with ABC and Disney. And at the last minute, it got sold to the UPN, the Unemployed Policeman's Network. Wow. Do you remember the UPN or you're too young? I'm too young, but Alan probably knows, but that sounds really cool. Watched it all the time. Well, UPN, uh, Keith, had a very bad rep. It was like, it, it, again, it was like, uh, it's hard to explain, but it just was the new startup, and it had a lot of bad shows. And I should have been on Disney and ABC if the plan went correctly, you right. know, on Channel 7, you know, and I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. Thank you. Your turn. <laughs> Well, in a way, I'm kind of glad it went on UPN, though, because I love talking to you. <laughs> yeah. So to answer your question, I was a comedian for six years. I, I became New York's funniest cop, which uh, when people now there's contests, you were in a contest. Right. I won. Uh, I keep a running count of my sets. I'm on set six thousand three hundred in like 70 something like that. Oh, no, six. Th I think I last night I did six. I'm looking for my notebook. I think I just did 6363, 6,663. But on set number 50, 50, I won New York's Funniest Cop. And to this day, the few times they had it again, they wouldn't even let me join. I had yeah. to either be a judge or a host because they knew that I would win again and other people wouldn't bring their relatives. Yeah. So, so, so what was that like where you won the Funniest Cop? That probably like gave you like a big boost of your career, though. It, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you. It, it's again. We now we look back on contests. Ha ha ha! It's a fucking contest, right? But at the time, they had never had New York's funniest cop. So to me, it was kismet. I started doing stand up like in the summer of '92, '92, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden in January of '93, I'm doing open mic for six months, and it's all over the comedy clubs. New York's funniest cop, big contest, and I was like. Not only am I going to join this, I'm going to win. Yeah. I'm going to make sure I win. And sure enough, there was three or four runoffs. You know, it wasn't in one night. So I got friends with the other guy. I got friends with this guy. I got friends. But I realized I was the only one doing three to five sets a week. Tape yeah. recording. You know, they would just, most of them joined it as a goof. And all of a sudden, um, and one of the runoffs, you know, when they count the votes. Yeah. Louis C.K. did a set. And I had never oh. seen or heard of Louis C.K. And I was like, I go, how can somebody be so funny? He's not trying to be, get laughs. He's orchestrating the laughs. And I said, how can somebody be so funny? And this is before they named me New York's Funniest Cop. Someone said to me, you know, what's the difference between you and him. I said, what? He just goes time. He said, yeah. you're going to be that funny. It was well, like crazy advice. And then I became New York's Funniest Cop. I thought it would be a bigger deal. Like, I thought, you know, I didn't think they would have a ticket tape parade, but I thought there would be, it would be a bigger deal. But in the end, it showed me that if you do the sets, you know what I mean? It, like, it gave me a goal as a comedian, which was very big. 
Yeah. I, I totally get that. Cause like the only reason why I did that contest that I actually, I don't think we met because I, I'm a sore loser, but, uh, so I bailed, but, um, I did. You had my vote. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, but I guess it wasn't enough. <laughs> and you weren't in a wheelchair. Yeah. And you're white. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I personally feel, Alan, I don't think you were there, but I feel I lost because Sally Mullins fucked up the order. But, oh, um, no, no, I'm a judge. Watch this. I will let you know this. I'm a judge, and whatever the mess up was, I picked it up in the dark, sitting in the dark. But I understand what you mean. Yeah. Um, it just yeah. threw me off because I was ready to go after the guy who. Oh, you mean in other words, you weren't ready to even go up, and you got called up? I thought yeah. you were talking about on the. I thought you were talking about on the judge sheet. Like I, oh. I gave you the. Oh, okay. Yeah. You mean you you got called up before you were ready to go? Yeah, because I was supposed oh. to go sixth or whatever, and she called me fifth. And like that, that just threw me off because like I was I was like, like focusing on my on my you know what I mean on my yeah I, it would throw me off because I like to I like to kind of be physically and mentally ready yeah and it's a contest you know as much as you want to blow it off it is a contest and the way that place you know it's loud there's people talking there's like you know that's like doing to me stand up in a, a subway station of New York. Yeah, there's a lot of people, and there's another show eight feet away with people laughing at that other show. And the thing that sucked is uh, there was no crack horrors when I was doing it. No, there was. She was there hosting. Was? She was hosting it, dude. That's her whole act. No, that is her act. I saw her years ago. I I find it funny. I leaned over and said to a stranger, "Boy, she's got this down. The drunken, you know, grandmother that you want to fuck. She's got it down." If Sally Mullins had a dick, I would suck it. <laughs> I would. Uh, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> I mean, and, and just just so the folks at home, like, I don't have a problem with Sally Mullins. I just feel that's the reason why I lost. Because, oh, okay. You know no, I, mean? I thought I thought you watch this as a judge. The little I remember about the whole thing, I thought your your jokes were clever and oh. you were right on. And you have Asperger's. Right? There was something about Asperger's? Yeah. I have no Asperger's. I have no ass cheeks at all. That's part of my act. I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> my, I, I have such little meat on my ass that I had a girlfriend years ago put a finger in my rectum, yeah. and it went right up in, inside my penis, and it was like a finger puppet. Ew. I have no, I have a long back with a slit. I have no ass cheeks at all. I have the ass of a Korean woman. <laughs> but like what I was going to say was even if I won that, that, that wouldn't have changed my career. That just would have made me feel good for one night. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. See, I, I understand that, but I know winning New York's funniest cop had a cachet. Yeah. I know that. Cause watch this. There is. At the time, there was 38,000 active New York City cops, 38,000 that could have joined the contest. There was Ooh. another 30 or 40,000 retired that were open to join the contest. And here it comes. Let me tell you something about that 80,000 guys. Yeah. They're all funny. Really? They're, they're, they're a lot of the dude, New York City cops are the funniest mofos ever because all we do is sit around and bust balls. I mean, what else is there? Yeah. That's what you did. You gravitated to the guys that were into busting balls, and it was eight hours of ball busting a night. I mean, we were high end, and I'm from Long Island. That's where you know ball busting is a sport. You literally didn't enjoy the football team because you were a ball buster. That was your sport. Yeah. Um, I mean, just today I skyped with my dad. I'm a 57 year old man, and my dad's in Long Island, and he goes, "What's with the haircut? You look like a lesbian, fella." Oh, that's my act. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, I said, when you get a haircut in North Hollywood and you want to pay $8, there's a language barrier. Yeah. And I ordered the numero cuatro. He cut my hair and I said, hey, Jose, what's with my hair? And he goes, you ordered the uh, cuatro. You ordered the maricon. <laughs> and then my dad goes, what's with the goatee? Fella, it looks weird. I said, I'm switching up my look. He goes, it looks like you went down on it and came back up with it. <laughs> so at most New York City cops were funny, but this is the point I'm trying to make is 
now I'm on stage. Now I'm running around. Now I'm doing sets. Now I'm garnering a little bit of cachet as a stand-up. And I'm New York's funniest cop. So when the guy busts your, uh, when Alphonse DiCiocchio tries to break my balls at roll call, I go, dude, I'm at Caroline's tonight. Yeah. You got living room balls, okay? Or maybe you have cul-de-sac balls because you moved out to the end of Long Island and you live on a cul-de-sac and you're the funniest guy at the Christmas party. I'm in real comedy clubs going on with real comedians. So that was the cachet that I had. And I had a title. Yeah. You know what I mean? To the average schmuck, maybe no big deal. But to someone else, hey, this guy's New York's funniest cop. You know, it's, uh, again, I would think that a lot of, I guess if you don't know about police work, and in today's day and age, you'd be led to believe that cops are just assholes that want to beat people up with a nightstick. And it's exactly 1,000% the opposite. Almost every New York City cop I knew was a good guy with a good heart that couldn't give a shit about police work. Right. And when the, but when the chips were down, they would give their life for a complete stranger. And, and they're funny. Yeah. Your turn. <laughs> I was gonna say that's uh that's pretty cool. I've always been taught to be like when I get pulled over to be nice because if you're nice, there's a good chance you could get out of a ticket. Oh, without a doubt, dude. I got the great. I have the greatest way of getting out of a ticket ever. Oh, tell tell us. Other than other than having a police ID, you know that gets you out of it, right? You get pulled yeah. over. I got the. I'm on the job. Oh, have a nice night. So my dad has the sickness. Do you know what the sickness is? No. It's 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 pre hoarding. It's garage sales, flea markets, knickknacks, junk, you know, wreck it albums. Everyone has the sickness for like a Coca-Cola brand stuff. It, but it's not hoarding. It's more like garage sales and flea markets. You got to go every weekend. So I was an active New York City cop. My dad had the sickness real bad and I hadn't seen him in months. And I'm in a little 200 SX or something with a hatchback and he loads me up. I got three kids. Here's stuffed animals for Sabrina. Here's the fire trucks for Matt. Here's the board games for your wife. Your brother, uh, my other brother's into Rottweilers. Here's stuffed Rottweilers. And he's literally, I'm, I'm leaving with like 60 garage sale items stuffed in my car. And if you say no, he gets very angry. So you got to take them. Right. I'm going to pull away to head to work in Coney Island, Brooklyn. You know where Coney Island is? The movie The Warriors. Did you ever see The Warriors? I did not. Okay, well, they want to get to Coney Island. It's a, it's a nice area if you're a bullet. <laughs> so I'm trying to get to Coney Island. Oh, as I pull out of my dad's driveway, he goes, I got one more thing. And if you say no, he gets mad. He goes, I got a toilet. It's like new. <laughs> I go, where are you going to put a toilet in this car? He puts it in the front seat, a whole big cream-colored yellow toilet. And as I go to pull out of his driveway... The toilet does this in the front seat. So what do I do? I put a seatbelt on the toilet. Right. So now here's the big flat part of the toilet with a seatbelt sitting next to me. I go to Brooklyn from Long Island. I make a right on red. Whoop. I get pulled over by the NYPD. Big fat cop gets out. He's got three stomachs, two chins. His hair is on backwards. You know, it literally weighs like 390 pounds and he's all stomach. Right. And he comes waddling up. He looks at me. He looks past me at the toilet in the seatbelt and just goes, get the fuck out of here. I don't even want to know. Get the fuck out of here. He thought I was on a date with the toilet. <laughs> and that got me out of a ticket for making a right on red. Uh, so for the folks at home, you should buy a toilet and always have it in your passenger seat. Right. <laughs> right now john i wanted to ask you uh because when you do movies and acting and stuff there's a, a lot of times you play a cop does does that like increase your chances of getting those roles because you used to be one i i think um i, I you know i don't look like a stockbroker you know what i mean i don't sound like one i look like a new york city cop but he is he is to be very specific I got into the movie Miss Congeniality without an audition. I didn't even know the movie existed. Uh -huh. I got seven phone calls. I was on the set of a TV show, and I had my phone shut off. And I turned it back on, and there were seven messages that I thought somebody that I knew died. 
And it was, John, this is Ruth Ann, your agent. You're in a movie called Miss Congeniality. John, you're in a movie called Miss Congeniality. And the reason they were all calling, check this out. This was like nine at night. You got to be on a private jet tomorrow to go to Austin, Texas for the table read. This is at nine at night telling me I'm in a movie with Sandra Bullock. And at 6 a.m., I'm on a private jet at Burbank Airport. And I could carry my own marijuana because it's private. Thank you. No one pats you down. But to answer your question, I found out years later how I got into Miss Congeniality with no audition is because of my New York accent, the New York accent. And then the movie 15 Minutes with Robert De Niro. I don't like to drop names because Michael Caine told me it was rude. (laughs) How I got into 15 Minutes was I was supposed to be a detective for the New York City Fire Department. So, again, you got to have a little authenticity of a guy that really was a new, you know, uh, that could be. And then Ed Burns, if you saw 15 Minutes, Ed Burns was the lead and I was Ed's partner. And check this out. I went on like six, seven auditions. Like this one, I had to keep going back. And I'm like, oh, my God, that guy's from Goodfellas. Oh, my God, that guy was in, you know, I'm like seeing like semi-famous people I'm against. And finally, it came down to reading with Ed Burns. And watch this. Ed Burns and I went to the same high school. We had the same friends. Nice. He was he was four years older than me, but we had the same circle of friends. We had the same shorthand of Long Island language and the stupid catchphrases. Yeah. And I had I had done Howard Stern maybe five days before the audition with Ed Burns. Mm-hmm. And Ed Burns walked into the audition quoting all my zingers from Howard Stern. So I knew I was in with Ed. That's you know, I had cool. five or six really good zingers at, on Stern. Um. So to, and then the other role, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, I play a uniform New York City cop. And that was the director of Miss Congeniality. He called me direct. He said, hey, John, it's Donald. No agents, no managers. He said, I don't want any bullshit. He said, I need a cop in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. He goes, I'll get you scale, no hotel. You know, I stayed with my, I flew back and stayed with my mom. You know, it was, but in, it wasn't a big paying gig, but when the director calls you and asks you, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, and a lot of people, you know, if someone says typecast or this or that, I just say, this business is so hard that if I played a cop 50 times in a row and it led to a house in Studio City with a built-in pool and a convertible, who cares? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What no, am I going to do? Go memorize Shakespeare? I, I do understand because my, my adopted uncle, he had a show. You were actually on the show for an episode, and he was the star of it. And he was so tired of being uh, typecast because he was, he was always typecast as being David Putty from Seinfeld. And he was like, no, I want to be a serious actor. And I'm just like, but Pat, you know, you, you're getting a lot of work just by being that. You should just embrace it. You know what I mean? Well, and what show was this, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, rules of engagement. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't now see. Watch this on rules of engagement. Had I known that one of the guys was Kate Hudson's brother, Oliver. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked him, and David Spade couldn't have been nice. David Spade went out of his way. He knew I was like a half-ass actor. He didn't know I was a stand-up. They, him and the, him and uh, Oliver went out of their way to be nice to me, and uh, I would have at least gave him my business card to make furniture. You know what I mean? I make furniture for a lot of famous people. And, um, uh, you know what I'm saying? That's easy to, it's easier for David Spade to call me cause he needs an outdoor picnic table than it is to put me in an acting gig. Right. So I felt bad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, rules of engagement. I still get residuals. Yeah. I should get a miscongeniality today. I just checked my mail. I live in North Hollywood. Yeah. And I, I should get a miscongeniality today for 1,172. And that's 23 years later. Wow, that, that must and like the cool thing about that movie was it was written by Mark Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, I liked him. Yeah. Do you know him? No, but I love his writing. I, what I else did he do? He did two weeks notice and music and lyrics. Like that, that's my kind of thing—the romantic comedy thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was good to me, but then when Miss Congeniality Two was written, I wasn't in it. Really. Yeah, I wasn't in it. I was just on the pay me no mind list. And I heard they did the table read. And I got a call from Barry Katz. Hey, pal, it's Barry. I got really. 
<laughs> I got really good news, Papa. You're in Miss Congeniality too. They rewrote it to put you back in. <laughs> and watch this. I, I, on the original pay that I got was a lot. Uh, so I'm thinking they got to give me that same exact amount. Uh, and I'm like, down payment on a house. I'm not broke anymore because I've been broke a lot out here. And uh, Barry said, um, there's a little bad news, pal. <laughs> They're offering you 90% less than you did on the first one. <laughs> and I said, well, should I take it? And Barry said, you'll be on a movie set. You'll get residuals. And if you don't take it, they'll go to fat guy number two. They won't, <laughs> they won't give you a raise. So I did it. Yeah, I wind up doing it, and and in the opening scene, Sandra Bullock and I are married. Did you see Miss Congeniality too? I did not. I I skipped that one, but I saw the first one. First one is fantastic, dude. First one, and he has a crazy thing that happened, and uh, you're not going to hear this from many people. I had X amount of lines, right, as the funny New York guy because I had the New so York did, accent. Yeah. So, yeah, I had like the zingers, right? Yeah. I'm the zinger guy. And then when they discovered I really could deliver a zinger that was not just written, but I could come up with something in the moment and they could kind of, you know, go out of a scene with my little, you know, whatever it was. What wind up happening was if I was supposed to work 12 days out of the 60, I worked almost all 60 days because they just said, send Aresta, give him an 8 a.m. call send him to his trailer, and if we need a joke written in a scene, we'll let him know two hours before. And so for like 50 days of the movie, I just smoked pot, listened to heavy metal, watched Goodfellas 5,000 times on a VHS, and then I'd hear, tell John DeResta that we need a North Dakota, South Dakota joke. We'll pick him up in 10 minutes. And now I would do a joke that look at Mrs. South Dakota. Her legs are so long. I'd have to go to North Dakota, yeah. like a hidden pussy eating joke. Like they wanted me to be dirty. Yeah. And out of those jokes, you know, five or seven made it in. So like I was at a garage sale last week and a woman goes, you look and sound familiar. Are you an actor? I said, I am. She goes, what movie? I said, Miss Congeniality. And she said, without missing a beat, I forgot the Alamo. And I go, hey, that's my joke. She goes, I know. I love that joke. So that was a joke in Miss Congeniality. Because remember, remember the Alamo? Yeah. So you, you joke doctored it. I joke doctored it. And on 15 minutes, I don't like to drop names. But Robert De Niro did a few jokes that I gave him. And not only when they yelled cut, did it get an applause break. Yeah. While they were clapping, this is Robert De Niro going like this. That was a John DeResta joke right there. That was a John DeResta joke. Giving me credit right in front of everybody. See, and that's awesome. And then, like, another thing is, like, you've worked with a lot of people who've won Oscars, too. Six. If you can name all six. Can you name all six? Uh, Sandra Bullock. Twice. Robert, Robert De Niro. Twice. Matthew McConaughey. Once. Um, six. Michael Caine. Ed Birds, but I don't think he won. No, Ed didn't win an Oscar. Mike, Michael Caine is four. Oh, Michael Caine, yeah. Okay. Regina King is five. Five. Miss Congeniality, two. Okay. I did, that's the one I didn't see, so I didn't Right. See. No, no. And, and she only won an Oscar recently. And uh, Sidney Lumet, the director from the 70s. Oh. You yeah. worked with him? I did one of his last movies. It was called Gloria with Sharon Stone, the remake. Holy Lord. I'll tell you real quickly. It was it was made as a drama, and her New York accent was so bad they put it out as a comedy. <laughs> and Regina King, we get into the little bus, the transport from our like trailer, and I said, "Oh, it's nice to meet you. Is this your first movie?" Yeah. And she goes, "This is my fortieth movie." Yeah. Well, and then was, we never spoke for the next two weeks. <laughs> well, she was she was in the scary movies, right? And then oh, the, I didn't I didn't know her from that. I'm just yeah. I, I legitimately didn't know who she was. <laughs> uh, but hey, I this is one of those weird questions that I gotta ask. Is like I'm not gay. 
Well, like you don't like to name drop where I think like everyone is probably thinks it's impressive. You've worked with De Niro and, you know, Sandra Bullock, but I think it's impressive. You worked with Ed Burns, who I feel is, is a great actor because he, I was just wondering, is he like a funny guy too? Well, again, you got to remember, we grew up in the same town in Long Island. We had the same friends. Yeah. And we would talk about how funny Terry Downing was. We would talk about how funny John Sarrow was. You know, these were mutual friends that knew me and knew Ed, but Ed and I never met. Ed is funny. Ed is sweet. Ed is the nicest guy on earth. When I saw him dealing with, you know, being, quote, famous and people on the streets of New York walk up and, and bother him. He handled it fantastically. And Ed and I have a memory that, you know, how you, you bond on a few things. Yeah. Are we done? No, no, sorry, my dog. <laughs> you fucking chopped my story into bits. No, no, sorry. My dog, I'm listening. My dog just jumped in. Okay. Yeah. No, uh, this is a memory that no one could ever take away from us. Uh, um, me and Ed got drunk with Robert De Niro in Robert De Niro's hotel room, and we should have stayed from like seven to eight. That was the plan, one drink. At two in the morning, his wife kicked me and Ed out. We were bombed. We were bombed. She kicked us out, and um, this is a true story. The next day, you could Google it up right now while we're in the air. The next day on the cover of the Daily News, Robert De Niro's wife files for divorce. Oh, my God. Because of John DeResta screaming all the lines from every De Niro movie. And at one point, De Niro goes, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't even know what the fuck line that is. And I'm like, that was in King of Comedy. You fucking screamed, so did Hitler. He goes, I haven't. He goes, I saw it once. I said, the fuck? (laughs) Me and Ed Burns got drunk with Robert De Niro. I know Robert De Niro's secret name in a hotel. Yeah. And watch this. We shot half that movie in L.A. So I had so many family and comedians coming to the set because it was outdoors in New York City in the summer. Cops were coming, detectives, Hell's Angels. I'm friends with Hell's Angels were showing up on the set. And then then out of nowhere, right around mid-July of 99, I was on a um, there's a great picture of a a director's chair, two of them next to you. And one says director, one says De Niro. And I for 25 years, I've been looking for the photo. But. Ed walked up to me at like five in the afternoon in July and hot. And he walked up and he just goes, De Niro wants to have drinks tonight in his hotel. I said, I got to change. I look like a mutt. He goes, we got, Ed goes, we got to go right now. And then Ed goes, no comedians, no family, no friends, just me and you. We got the secret name. We went up and his uh, assistant opened up a bottle of tequila Again, it was supposed to be one drink each, and we were bombed like college kids making jokes. Uh, wow. But I'm not sure. Did I? What was the question? Uh, it was, uh, oh, Ed Burns. Yeah, Ed, yeah. Watch this. Uh, I don't know if you know, my wife passed away. I don't know if you know that. My wife, my wife passed away. Okay, my wife passed away in November. We were married 33 years. And Ed Burns, and I'm going to try not to cry, loved my wife. Ed was so nice to my wife. Because, do you know anything about New York? My wife was from Rockaway Beach, Queens. Do you know what that is? Does that register to you or Alan? Alan's from New York. He knows that stuff. What's that, Alan? I was born in Manhattan. Okay, remember Rockaway Beach, the Irish little uh, chalet out on the beach? That's right. Ed absolutely loved my wife because she was from Rockaway, and they got along really well. I I could never say anything bad. Not that you're looking for it. But Ed was a great guy. De Niro was a great guy. You know who was a great guy? Howard Stern. I did Stern twice. Howard Stern is my idol. Howard Stern is a, a living legend. Yeah. And he was as nice as could be. You know, even when we walked, we all took the elevator. I, I finished the show once and we all took the elevator all the way out. Like we hung with him for like 20 minutes on the way out of the building. And even you know, off the air, just a regular. And he's a Long Island schmuck too. You know that, right? Yeah. because he Howard Stern is Long Island. Yeah. Now, so when when you do the movies and then the stand up comedy that though, during that time frame, that probably really helped your your ticket sales, right? No, no. <laughs> That's almost like a trick question. Not at all, dude. Fucking nobody Bro. gave two shits that I was in a movie with Nero. Nobody gave two 
I mean, I'm, I'm famous in one place. The yeah. eye doctor where my mother works in Long Island. <laughs> they all think I'm going to Coke parties with Bruce Willis and Arnold yeah. up on Mulholland. They don't know I'm at the fucking Chateau at your contest <laughs> with Sally Mullins and you getting your wrong number. So you fucking bombed. <laughs> but to be fair, I don't think I bombed. I just, no, I, I had to throw that in. I had, to, I had, I had to throw salt in your eyes. I'm a schmuck. No, listen, I thought that, cause you don't know this. I did. I did the tonight show as a panel guest. With Jay I Leno. quit with Jay Leno just for the UPN show. That would never happen these days. It was so far down the dial. You would never get, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now the late night show is a star against star. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be Tom Hanks versus Matthew McConaughey. The human interest of a cop that got a sitcom, you know, it might be good on daytime TV, but you will never see that on a late night show again. So since I had did that and killed, 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 I thought now six months later, I'm in Miss Congeniality. Let me get ready for my, you know, my close up. No press, no nothing. Then 15 minutes, no press, no nothing. No one cared that I was in the movie. Um, you know, when I mean press, no, no Howard Stern, no radio, nothing, not zero, 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 zero. Well, we and, weren't around back then, just so you know. No, but I'm saying, listen, and then, <laughs> and then on top of it, uh, no one know, really recognized me from the movie. To this day, if I do a show tonight and there's 250 couples, mm -hmm. and I say I was in Miss Congeniality, I see 250 wives lean over and go, I saw Miss Congeniality 50 times. This fucking asshole is not in Miss Congeniality. <laughs> I see them say it, and I go, do you guys own it? Because you know, usually it's on the road. I go, do you guys own this type of phone that you could look up information on? Yeah. Google my name right now. And all of a sudden, and this is this leads to real moments as a stand-up. This is a total setup. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, he is a Miss Kajidi. Oh, he used to be fat. Oh, he isn't he had his own sitcom. Oh, look at that. There's a picture with Robert De Niro. Oh my God. He was a Miss Congeniality too. The one thing I get recognized for the most, can you guess? It's very weird. You don't know. I had three woodworking shows too. Did you know that? Yeah, HGTV. You had one with your brother. I had three with my brother. Yeah, but the one thing everyone recognizes because this is in my stand-up act, doing thousands of shows, I just happened to notice that for some reason everybody recognizes me from How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, yeah. and I'm in it for one minute. And that's one of my favorite movies. So, yeah, I had a funny story there. Um, so you know the card game in Staten Island, bullshit, bullshit. So you know that. So I don't know how to play bullshit, but it was a close-up overhead. See the camera right here on my hands? Yeah. And from behind the little video village, the little black booth, the director, who now I know from Miss Congeniality, so we know each other. And he came to see me at the Velveeta Room. Yeah. You ever been to Austin, Texas? Uh, yes, but I never performed there. All right, the Velveeta Room's City. Okay, I did that too. But the Velveeta Room is considered the hardest place on earth to get laughs. Pips in Sheepshead Bay. Then the Velveeta Room. And I say the fourth wall in North Hollywood. I say all three of those. That's my. But the director and I went out a few nights. And so we became friendly. So he hires me. How to lose a guy in 10 days. I'm doing the cards. And over the speaker, he's directing me from his little video village. John Doresta moved the Queen of Hearts to the right. Sorry. Because I guess the way the cards were set up meant something to the game and the plot of the movie. Yeah. So so I moved the Queen of Hearts to the right. He says, John DeResta. I said, move it to the right. I pick up the cup, card. I move it an inch. He goes, John, I'm not going to say it again. Move it to the right. I move it to the right. And then all of a sudden I hear him go, like, I'm not supposed to hear it. He goes, oh, shit. I meant to the left. <laughs> and I yelled out, I'm sorry. You were wrong. <laughs> And at first it got a little laugh because he's the director, then a big laugh. And then it turned into an applause break that I made fun of the director on this big set of a big movie. Right. And he took it like a man. And Kate Hudson went like this. She, <laughs> she just leaned back and looked at me. It was like this. All right. This fucking dude's funny. <laughs> and I worked with Matthew McConaughey in that scene. Right. Yeah. And for some reason, 
My wife calls me. I don't know if she had a few drinks in her. She said, can you get me Matthew McConaughey's autograph? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm kind of his co-star. You know what I mean? And this is from 3,000 miles away. She goes, can you get me his, his, his signature on a T-shirt? Now she's at, not on a piece of paper. Now she wants Matthew McConaughey's autograph on a T-shirt. Right. And I don't know where I got the T-shirt, but it was like, a, you know, one of these little white ones, like the Guinea T-shirt, they call it. I had the magic marker and I asked Matthew McConaughey for his autograph on the set of a movie with a thousand employees and everybody looking from their house, from the fucking roofs, helicopters. And he goes, dude, I'm in the middle of my fucking work day and you're my co-star and you're going to fucking stick a pen in my face and, and, and people are watching. If I <laughs> sign one, I got to sign fucking 50. And you know what I said? All right. All right. All right. You get it? All right, all right, all right. That's a true story. And we just found that T-shirt just a couple oh. of days ago. My daughters found that T-shirt. They wanted to put it for sale online. No, I think you should keep it. But you know what he did have? Out of everyone I've ever met, Matthew McConaughey has the most charm. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey has a magic. They say Bill Clinton has it or had it before he got old and crusty and red. He probably still has it, though. Yeah, but McConaughey is by far the most charming person I ever met. I mean, where Robert De Niro was just like one of my dad's friends. My dad was a New York City fireman, and I know a lot of New York cops. So to me, De Niro, his demeanor and his the way we interacted was like, oh, shit, this is one of my dad's friends. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's and, and, you know, Ed Burns and, and even Sharon Stone I've met, they're all nice and they're all stars. But Matthew McConaughey had like this magic. I was like, wow. You know, he had me questioning my, I got like a chub when I was in his presence. Yeah. I chubbed up. I, I think that that story uh, about the autograph is hilarious because when I was on tour with Norm, uh, I used to work at a grocery store and I would, Norm would call me because we would do Thursday through Sunday back then. Now the headliner days are Friday and Saturday and they'll skip a Sunday. But, you know, they did the Thursday through Sunday and Norm would call me on Wednesday to get off work the whole weekend. And I was like, I was like, my boss is not going to do this. And this is like the first one. He's like, OK, give me your boss's number and I'll call him. So I go to Norm's house and we call him and it ring ring. And Norm's like, hello, is this a Keith's boss? Yeah, you go. there you go. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he's like. He can't come to work today. He has to go to Pittsburgh because this is Norm McDonald. And like my boss didn't believe it. It was just so funny because Norm's arguing with my boss for 20 minutes. He's like, no, seriously, Norm McDonald, it's me. It was, nice. just, so, it was just so funny. So like when, when I hear funny stories that like that, it just brings out the charm of like, cause it's human. It shows people how genuine they are. You know what I mean? Like, oh, dude. Well, well, he has a couple of Robert De Niro genuine stories. Um, I, I assume you saw the movie uh, Ronin. Did you see Ronin? Ronin, Ronin, Ronin. Alan, did you see Ronin? Yes. Yes, it was very good. It was uh, an action uh, cop uh, with De Niro. and uh, I saw Meet the Parents. Meet the Parents was a good one, too. Um <laughs> No, but I said I said to Robert De Niro, I said, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm watching." You know, we had a couple of private moments, and um, I said, "Hey, I'm watching all, uh, one of your movies per night. I'm doing my homework." And he goes, and he's reading the newspaper, all alone in a Chinese restaurant, just me and him in downtown L.A. There's not a person to be seen. And in in the movie, uh, this is probably about my auto warranty. Oh, you want to pause it? We not pause at it. all. No, no, it's a joke. How they call and. Yeah, no, we're good. Um, so in the movie Ronin, like 10 different people get killed over this metal case and they never tell you what's in the metal case. The whole movie is people get shot, stabbed. Governments are involved all for the metal case. And all of a sudden the movie ends. And you don't find out what's in the metal case. So here's Robert De Niro reading the newspaper. Right, he's like this. He would always read the Daily News and he's reading the paper. And I walk over and I go, hey, I'm doing my homework. I watched Ronin last night. And he goes. Yeah. You give a shit. 
I go, I invested two and a half hours and they never told me what's in the case. What was in the case? I go, you got to tell me what was in the case. And he goes like this. How the fuck do I know? <laughs> That's it. He never even looked back at me. It was the funniest goddamn thing. He goes, how the fuck do I know? Uh, but, and then another time, you ever walk up on someone and they go, uh, shh, here he is. It's a joke. Like they're talking about you behind your back. Shh, here yeah, he is. Yeah. Robert De Niro did that to me, to, to, did it to Ed Burns about me. And he's such a good actor, Robert De Niro. I thought he really was talking about me. It was funny. He was doing a schmucky thing you do in sixth grade. Yeah. Here, look what I just found. I just oh, found this. That's cool. It's the photo. <laughs> this was before I was molested. <laughs> I went on a camping trip with my uncle and late at night in the, in the tent, the big tent. I said, Uncle Kenny, what's a pervert? And he looked down and said, shut up and keep sucking. <laughs> John, uh, Alan, do you have any last second questions for John? No, I, I, I think it's, you know, I love uh, cops that become performers. Oh, wow. Thank you, sir. Yes, yes. Because, it, you know, they bring... An experience that most, let's face it, most actors are not going to have, and it, it tells. It tells. What is was it? Dennis Torino and Dennis Farina had allegedly three confirmed kills as a cop. Hey, dude, I'm on a list. I'm on a list with famous civil servants. There you Do you go. know it? Yeah. All right. Watch this. Here's the list that I the National Enquirer. You guys remember the National Enquirer? Yeah, it's still the, around. They, stay, they put out a list of the five most famous civil servants. You ready for this? Yeah. Dennis Farina, the big burly cop with the white hair. I don't know if you know him, Keith. John DeResta. Steve Buscemi was a New York yeah. City fireman. I love Steve. And I love John. And, um, you know, what's his name was a mailman. Carell was a mailman. That's Did you guys Steve know Carell? that? Yep. That's wow. right. And then this one, you're definitely not going to know. Keith, I mean, Alan might know. Uh, Lieutenant, uh, I think Lieutenant Crocker from Kojak worked for the Long Island Railroad. But Kojak's going way back. And on that note, Alan, watch this. Keith, I don't know if you know. Did you know Tupac was shot before he was killed? Tupac was shot in New York City. Yeah. He was shot. Is he, is he seriously considered killed? Because everyone, he keeps well, releasing music every year. Well, oh, well. Don't don't stall my joke. <laughs> right? Sorry, Do your best not to fun. chop up my final joke. <laughs> we were working as cops. Me and Mike Venkis were in the homeless outreach unit. We heard the call. We work in Manhattan. And Tupac Shakur shot five times outside a studio in Times Square. And we got there. He was shot five times that night. He lived. And uh, one of the bullets went through his scrotum. I don't know if you know that. And he lost a testicle. And that was the night that Tupac became one Pac. Oh. <laughs> it would have been better if you didn't step all I over. Know. I I feel, fuck. Good thing you weren't in that contest, man. <laughs> That's right. Out of order. Yeah. Well, John, where can the folks at home follow you and support you? Oh, okay. At John DeRester on, uh, on Instagram. At J-O-H-N-D-I-R-E-S-T-A is basically it. And there's at DeResta West Coast. That's for the furniture. At DeResta West Coast. And, uh, yeah, dude, I booked a gig today. You ready for this? Yeah. One night, $3,000. Nice. Hold on. Four nights in a five-star hotel so you can promote it. And they cover the airfare. Oh. Who's Where's the that? asshole now? Oh. <laughs> Today is the day Tupac became one Pac for me. <laughs> that made no sense, but it had the right rhythm. And I have a New York accent. And, dude, you know about the teeth? Yeah. $8,000, dude. Look, 8000 Wow. So you got to get another $3,000 gig, right? I asked for the Barry Katz model. What's up, Papa? <laughs> was Katz your former manager? He was, my, he was my manager for five years, and I consider him one of the funniest people on earth. Yeah. 
I don't know if you ever hung out with him. He is extremely funny. We've and, we've we've had him on two or three times, and and Jay used to be managed by him, so I know Barry Katz very. Are funny. they still together, or that broke? They broke up. No. Or you're not allowed to talk. I mean, I could tell you privately, but they're not together still. Oh, okay. They're still friends, but not together. Okay, but about three years ago, I saw Barry. I'm selling at a flea market my furniture. I don't want to brag. I'm selling at a fucking flea market. <laughs> and I saw Barry, and and I had, I've had i lost a little weight, and I work on my bronze. I bronze off each day. I still have my hair. Yeah. And uh, Barry goes, uh, I know. You know, he noticed the weight loss, and then he just goes like this. I highly recommend you get your teeth whitened or corrected before you kick back into showbiz. <laughs> so he's one of the reasons I went and spent eight, eight grand. Yeah. Wow. I, I got the uh, Morton Downey Jr. model. <laughs> Do you know him? No. Not man. Robert Downey. Morton, Morton Downey. Oh, is this, is this funnier? Brother. I got the Joe Namath model. Do you know who Joe Namath is? Yeah, I know Joe Namath. Yes. <laughs> Broadway Joe. Yeah. Well, John, was, thank, hold thank on. You. Broadway Joe. Joe Namath was the original pussy magnet. Oh. Uh, I, I don't have a joke there. I should have ended on one pock, right? Yeah. <laughs> but Alan, thank you for that. Uh, that that that's a nice compliment. Thank you. This this was a joy. Oh, great. Thank you. All right, Keith. Thank you. And how many people will watch this? Eight to ten. Well, hopefully more. I mean, I'll have my family do it. Yeah, but uh, we have. Do you have a gig tonight? I don't. No. You know, I'm going to El Paso this weekend. Have you ever been there? Uh, the what, what place? The comic strip. Yeah, I, I did that with um, Richard Villa. No, I don't know him. Yeah, you don't. You don't want to know. Him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you'll you'll love it. That's it. El Paso is cool because they come there for comedy. It doesn't really matter if you're famous or not. They'll still go. You know oh, I mean? good. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I've been there twice. In the last 10 years, I've been there twice. I have nothing but good memories. I, however, in my 6,300 sets, the last time I was at the comic strip, my middle act got, an my middle act got a standing ovation all six shows. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. For everyone except me. Oh, you, you you don't like it when your middle act does good? Well, I like it when he does good, but a standing ovation, you know, I mean, you know, yeah. who's sucking whose titties over here? <laughs> What's he like do you know like, what I mean? Yeah. Do you know who, do you know the guy? No, I don't. His name was uh, Ignacio Saraguchi. Really? He was really funny and charming and handsome and sung songs in Spanish, like made the fucking girls go crazy. It was like Elvis was up there, and then I come out with my Long Island little dick jokes and twisted sister jokes. Yeah, well, see, like I have you're... a I have a one inch dick and a twelve inch ball bag. That that's pretty impressive. I have a genital <laughs> mullet. You want to see it? Sure. <laughs> well, no. The the thing I was gonna say is like because like uh, I obviously want to be uh, a headliner one day, and. Uh, like I would love love to have openers who are really really good because I feel like that would make yeah oh it does make you funny yeah yeah, yeah. it does but yeah. I mean a standing ovation is different but no but 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 watch this but when I look back on it watch the here's the good piece of news because I'm being positive is I survived it like I don't remember leaving there in a bad way I, you know I gave it up you know hey man give it up for him. And here's the old lesson I, I got taught. You just got to change the channel. You know what I mean? You just got to, you know, they watch Saraguchi, you get up, they go from channel two to channel eight. They went from a soccer game to, you know, roller hockey. That's it. And usually five or seven jokes into it, that other person is, is done. You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. They're out. Yeah. Well, John, and I, I, I had one more thing. Sure. I'm getting so old now. And the other day, I looked down after the shower, I was naked, and, and my, my penis and my balls were so gross and wet and mushed together. They look like they should live inside a shell. <laughs> or a conch. That's a conch. <laughs> a conch. It's hard to talk when you get new teeth. Yeah. Well, John, thanks so much for talking. All right. Thank you for having me, dude. I appreciate it.
Yeah, I'm always looking for sets, too. So if you hear anything, and if I hear anything, likewise. All right. Thanks, John. I appreciate it, buddy. I'll tell Robert De Niro you said hello. No, tell Ed Birds. Yeah, you got I prefer it. Ed Birds. Yeah, Ed Birds. <laughs> All right. Bye, John. Okay. You. you got it. Thanks, it. All right. All right, guys. That was the show. Subscribe, brain review, and we'll see you guys next week. All right. Hey, thanks again, guys. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you. Oh, good. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there, www.stereo.com slash Keith and on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash Keith If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it. And we'll rift with you again soon.